Good morning, Hope Astoria. Pastor Chris here. Uh, this weekend's been a strange weekend in that we were so excited, expectant, looking forward to being together yet again in person at our Sunday gathering. And then over the weekend, Tropical Storm reached Category 1 status. And given the nature of the storm, the timing of it, it just did not feel prudent and wise to subject uh, any member of our church, our staff, um, to the potential dangers of traveling to and from church. And so we made a last minute decision to record our worship gatherings. And uh, it's, it's a bummer because uh, the last several weeks have been amazing. I thought it was going to be quite some time before I would have to stare at a camera again. But yet um, I would do it all over again if, uh, if it means uh, to love people and to keep people safe. And so appreciate your grace, your patience, your understanding. Um, pray for our city. I'm praying that uh, the storm dissipates and it ends up being nothing. I would love for that to be the case, but in the event that it, it holds up, um, we just wanted to be safe. And so, uh, before we continue our sermon series in the book of James, the title of the sermon series is Authentic Faith, and if you haven't been uh, with us the last couple of Sundays, whether online or in person, I encourage you to go to our website and hear where we've been but we really felt it was appropriate before we dive into anything to just simply pause and pray because the last several days our hearts have been just so heavy with all that's going on in this world. If you've been watching the news you know that a catastrophic earthquake hit Haiti and the wonderful people of that great nation are suffering. And in addition to that if you've seen the footage as U.S. forces have pulled out of Afghanistan, the, the, the scene there is just absolutely heart-wrenching. As a church, we're processing what we can do practically um, to come alongside both pastors and churches and just the people in those regions. And so would you pray for us as we figure out what that looks like? Um, but we know that our greatest response, the thing that we can do most effectively is to pray and so I want to take a moment and before we dive in whether wherever you're at if you could just take a moment and we're just gonna bow our hearts in prayer to God and lift up the nation of Haiti and the nation of Afghanistan would you lift up your voice right now together as a church and let's ask God to stretch his hand and touch these nations would you join me in prayer Lord Jesus we come to you recognizing that you are King and Lord over all Lord even as we're in the midst of a, a storm right now um, high winds and potential damage and and we're seeking safety Lord we look at these two nations and they are undergoing a different kind of storm an upheaval that Lord, it's hard to put words to. Father, we are joining in prayer. We're refusing to let our hearts become calloused, to just be business as usual. Lord, to just keep going with the motions. But Lord, we're pausing now. We're lifting up our voice and we're asking, God, would you stretch your hand with your kingdom? Would your kingdom come in those nations? Would your will be done? Lord, would you raise up your people in and around those nations to rise to the occasion of this hour and Lord to be your hands and feet 
We pray for the most vulnerable, Lord, for children, for women, the elderly, those that are infirmed, Lord, those with developmental uh, disabilities, God, Lord, the poor, Father, the, those that are on the margins of any sort, and we lift them up before you, God, and we ask for their protection, Lord, for you to cover them. God, we, we pray, Lord, in the days ahead, Lord, may we see, may we be a part, may, Lord, whether in prayer or in deed, however you empower us, Lord, as a church, as individuals, to respond to this hour. Lord, so we lift up the nation of Haiti. We lift up the nation of Afghanistan. And we ask, Lord, for your kingdom to come, for your mercy to be felt and known in that region, in those regions of the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Thank you for joining me in prayer. Let's go straight to Scripture. We're going to continue where we left off, and we're in James chapter 1, and we're going to be reading verses 12 to 18. It says this, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted... No one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that he might be, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Would you join me in prayer before we dive in? Lord Jesus, as we worship you, Lord, uh, uh, hovering over your word, expectant, that you would speak to us. We pray you would reveal yourself, change us, challenge us, convict us, comfort us through your word as only you can. Holy Spirit, we pray you'd glorify Jesus, reveal him in a transformative way. Wherever we find ourselves, may you meet us powerfully as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. As you may know, if you've been journeying with us for the last couple weeks, the context of this letter that James writes is that there were persecuted Jewish believers in Jesus and they had their lives disrupted because of their faith in Jesus. They were uprooted from their homes. They had to reestablish their lives all on account because of their faith in Jesus was bringing persecution their way. And thus far in this letter, we've seen that James has been grounding them in Christ. For one, he's called them to, call, to count their trials as pure joy and to know that their character is being changed in the midst of their trials. Also, when facing trials and suffering, James tells them that they can ask God for wisdom and that God will give it to them freely, liberally, that he will not withhold. And he calls them to root their identity to Christ not to their possessions or their lack thereof. And so as we've been journeying through these verses, we've been challenged. God's been speaking to us powerfully, strongly. And today is going to be no different because we're going to dive into this 
really important topic of knowing the difference between trials and temptations. The title of this sermon is Blessed Trials. But before we get into any of that, I want to focus on a phrase that's found in the first verse we read, verse 12, where it says this, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. I, it's so important that we be balanced in the way we understand Scripture and apply it to our lives. And I think a necessary balance that has to be reached is that it's important that we not only ground ourselves in the, in the penetrating, powerful truth that God loves us, but it's important that we understand the other side of that street where God invites us to love Him in response. See, James says something that touches on so much of the Bible and that, that there are promises that God has made to those who love Him. Now, whether you love God or not, God loves you. That's the gospel. You could hate God. You could choose to not believe Him. If you're, if you're watching this and you're not a follower of Jesus, first off, we're so glad you're watching. But I want you to know that you never have to love God in order for God to love you. But what the scriptures say is that there are promises that God has made and set apart that only those who love Him will actually get to experience. So... It, it's, it's Think of it as this two-way street. On, on one side of the street, God's piercing, penetrating, unrelenting, never-ending love is aimed toward us. It's coming at us. Nothing can stop it. God cannot be deterred in His love for us. You and I can't earn that love. We can't deserve that love. We can't push it away. God will always come to us with love. If right now you stop God... If God was walking down Astoria Boulevard and you just ran into him and said, Hey, what do you think about me? He wouldn't blink. He wouldn't hesitate. He would say, I love you. Blank. Full stop. You don't deserve this love. You don't earn it. That's the gospel. It's coming to us in that powerful way. And from cover to cover, the scriptures, we hear God loudly declaring, I love you. The real you, not the facade the real you, brokenness and all. If that isn't good news for you, I don't know what else to tell you. I don't have any tricks up my sleeve. I don't have anything to give you other than that powerful statement. God loves you, the real you. A love that you can never earn, that you don't have to try to merit. He doesn't love us just when we're useful, just when we're strong. He doesn't love us just when we're successful. But here James touches on an important balance to this truth that we often miss. And though the scriptures overwhelmingly declare that God loves, for us, loves us, but he also overwhelmingly invites us to respond to him in love. I was recently attending a wedding and I didn't know this about this couple. Uh, they don't attend our church. I didn't know this about this couple, and that was that the, the bride actually rejected uh, the groom, I think it was about like five or six times. 
And that actually came up in the wedding speech. And so would, could you imagine just uh, for someone like me who thought I knew these folks, I didn't know that piece of information. I was like, whoa. And watching them commit their lives to each other, knowing this history that this young man had pursued her for many years. These rejections, five or six of them that came, were delivered to him over the course of many years. It wasn't like one or two, I think it was like seven, maybe even more. And while there was chuckling and, and kind of some, some jeering at this thing, because it's uncommon, most people would stop pursuing somebody. Most people would not end up at an altar uh, like this couple did. I was struck at that moment as if I was seeing a beautiful image of what the gospel tells us. That God is this pursuer. That he pursues us even when we reject him, even when we push him away. Even when we resist Him, He comes after us. That's one side of the gospel truth that we're wrestling with. But the other side that James touches on, that there's promises that God has made to those who love Him, and that is that though God's promises can't be earned or deserved, they actually can't be accessed and fully appropriated by people who don't respond to God in love. In other words, only people that say, God, I'm going to respond to you in love the way you have pursued me get to access these promises. Could you imagine? All God invites us to do in response to his unrelenting love is to return love back to him. Knowing that our love will be imperfect, that our love will be fickle, that our love will have its good days and its bad days, but he has these promises set apart in his word that only those who love him will actually be able to walk in. I think that's an important thing before we move on any further for you and I to be clear, and that is that God has invited us into a love relationship with him. That this isn't an invitation. Jesus doesn't extend to us an invitation for us to just religiously follow him robotically, unaffecting our emotions, our soul. No, he invites us to not just obey commands uh, kind of robotically and mechanically, but he invites us to respond with our, from our souls to this fierce love that he directs toward us. See, there's something about the Christian faith that's absolutely incredible and captivating. And that is that we are putting our faith and responding in love to the God who loves us with this unearned, unrelenting love. I love how Tim Keller phrased it once. He said, as Christians, we don't just find God useful. We find God beautiful. And that's... When you find God beautiful, when you consider Him beautiful, you and I respond in love, in affection, in commitment, in sacrifice. Whether we feel like it or not, we commit to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is the invitation that the Scriptures lay before us. Promises that are set apart for those who love Him. Before I move on any further, can, can you 
hear God's voice calling you and saying, don't just follow me like passively or kind of unintentionally or, or, or you don't put your heart into it. No, become a lover of me. Learn to love me. Respond to my love with love from your soul. Let every other love become second. Let it, let it become a distant second as your love for me grows and ferments and becomes this pure, hot flame. God's inviting us. And it's in that place of love that we can walk in the promises of God. But for these people that James is writing, the comfort that they were receiving, knowing that in the midst of their trials, that God had promises for them, for those who love Him. And what were they going through? They were going through an intense season of trial and suffering but in these verses James actually gives a helpful differentiation that I think is so critical for us to be very clear and on the same page with God because often we confuse these two things we confuse trials with temptations we confuse temptations with trials but let's look at the difference see in these verses we see that God is saying that He will bless the one who perseveres trials. But then, He says, when you're tempted, know that God is nowhere near it. So as you're going through trials, God is overseeing that trial. He's examining how you're walking through it. He's ready to bless you. But when you and I are being tempted, the Scriptures tell us God is nowhere near that scene. Emphatically, James tells us, God is not tempting us. He's not sending temptation our way. He's not causing it. However, trials are very much His handiwork. And what's the difference? See, trials were told by James, and the people that were this was being written to were going through so many trials. James comforts them and lets them know that trials are tools in the hands of God that are used to change our character. Conversely, temptations are things that seek to compromise our character. See, trials, when they come our way, they're not trying to pull us away from Jesus. They're not trying to deceive us, lie to us about who God is, how He sees us. They're not trying to ensnare us in, in a bad decision and in this way of living or that way that's contrary to the Scriptures. No, trials are just fiery, difficult situations. And in those difficult situations, the target is our character. For our character to change. Here's the good and bad news. The good news is that when you're going through a trial, your character is changing. The bad news is that if you want your character to change, you have to go through a trial. It, there's no way around it. Uh, think of like if you, if you want to drive down to Florida, a trip that I've done many times, there's no way around a long drive. You can't shortcut that process. There's no way around your character, my changing outside of going through trials. Temptations are very different. Trials grow us. Temptations seek to ensnare us. But here's the good news that we're told. That God is our ally during temptation. 
that though he doesn't send it, though he's not part of it, though it's not coming from him, the living God wants to meet us during temptation. What's happening during temptation? Because again, some of us may not be fully clear yet as to, all right, what's the difference between a trial and a temptation? These verses actually give us an in-depth analysis as to what's happening with temptation that doesn't happen during a trial. So right now, you may be going through something, and you may not be clear. Am I going through a trial, or am I being tempted? James helps us crack that code. The first thing that he tells us is that during temptation, you and I are dragged away by our own evil desire and enticed. One of the reasons I love the scriptures and one of the reasons I am convinced that the scriptures are inspired by God and not a man-made con book that was invented and passed through the generations trying to ensnare people and and why I don't believe that this is a bad book uh, written by false people. There's all these lies that are perpetrated in society as if religion is the worst thing in the world. It's, It's led to so many this and that. Yet, why I trust the scriptures And why they're so transformative is because they're the most honest truth that we can access about ourselves. Though God loves us, He doesn't sugarcoat truth with us. He's fully transparent. Other people will lie to you. Institutions will lie to you. Society will lie to you. Your best friend may lie to you. The scriptures give us an honest appraisal as to who we are. And here James says, that what happens during temptation, you and I are dragged away by our own evil desire and enticed. It may be difficult to admit, to accept, but it's an important thing to admit and accept that you and I have the capacity for evil desires. For evil thoughts to percolate in our minds, for us to meditate on things that, are, that the scriptures would call evil, that dishonor God, that dishonor people, that dishonor ourselves. James is saying, during temptation, what's happening is we are dragged away by our own evil desire. One, one clue that you know you're being tempted versus going through a trial is that trials will often push you to cling to Jesus. A temptation will never do that. A temptation is always trying to drag you away from Jesus. And James is trying to help these believers know the difference and know that the trials they're going through are perfecting their character. But in the midst of those trials, they're facing temptations. And James is trying to highlight the difference. And he's saying, temptations are things that are seeking to drag you away from Jesus. And the way they drag you away is that your evil desires, my evil desires... During temptation, it's almost as if that's how the enemy gets his hook in us. He doesn't influence us. The enemy of our souls doesn't have a leg up on us just whenever he wants. It's not like he can just come up and like jump us whenever uh, he chooses to see fit. No, he's constantly trying to find a hook where he can latch on to us and through that pull us. That hook that often he finds are our evil desires. Things that are contrary to the will of God that we meditate on, that we fantasize about, that we lust over. Those things drag us away. But it doesn't stop there. James says that temptation begins by our evil desires 
dragging us away and enticing us, but then it says desire is conceived. It's this image, almost as if something is being born inside of us. Something is growing. Temptation is trying to drag us away, entice us through our evil desires. And in the midst of that, it's growing inside of us. It's seizing us. It's apprehending us. That's the the sense of this idea of something being conceived inside of you. It's taking a hold of your life. Now, if you have walked with Jesus for any period of time, you know the angst, the heartbreak that temptation brings when we succumb to it. Because when we succumb to it, we come to realize very quickly that we were deceived, we were tricked, we were dragged away by our own desires, and then we find out that the intention behind that temptation was never us to just do something once or commit an action once or go down a certain path once, but actually, no, the intention was for us to be apprehended, to be seized, to be taken hold of. Some of us right now, you're not facing a trial. You're facing temptation. And you know it's temptation because right now your walk with Jesus is growing cold. You're being distracted. You're being pulled away from his purposes. Perhaps there was one zeal in your soul and the idea of not being with other believers and not living on mission for Jesus and, and, and suffering for his name was an honor that you live for. And now you may find yourself waning and now it, it may be a struggle for you to connect with the body of believers and, and to live on mission and you, and you sense your passion for Jesus waning, but you sense a passion for other things growing. It doesn't always have to be explicitly evil, wrong things, but an evil desire can get us down a path that looks really nice and quaint to the outside observer, but yet that road will take us down to a place that we don't want to go. Sin through temptation will always take us places that we never thought we would go, will keep us places longer than we ever thought we could be, will get us to compromise and do things that we never thought we would do. Temptation is seeking to apprehend us when it conceives inside of us. Then James says it give, sin gives birth to sin. Temptation gives birth to sin. And then sin, if it's unabated, if it doesn't stop, if there isn't an interruption into that path, James says it gives birth to death. The scriptures tell us the wages of sin is death. Look that up for yourself. Romans chapter 3 verse 23. The wages of sin are death. The scriptures are very clear. Sin is nothing to toy with. It's nothing to play with. It's nothing to become comfortable with. And it's most certainly something that we should not join the chorus of our culture and try to whitewash certain sins and say that's no longer evil. God's updated his mind. He's modern. He's progressive. When the scriptures call something sin, it's sin. And if it's sin and we're being tempted toward it, the scriptures tell us there's a pathway we're being led down. 
And that pathway is one of death. James is, is powerfully declaring this warning that you and I could be dragged away by evil desire. Let's unpack that for a moment. What's an evil desire? I want to give you this definition of process. An evil desire is anything that draws you away from God and leads you to live contrary to His Word. Anything. It could be a good thing. It could be a socially accepted thing. It could be something that could get you a promotion, that could make you money, that could get you ahead in life. But if it's drawing you away from God and leads you to live contrary to His Word, it's evil. But it's interesting, James, the way he defines evil, when he talks about being dragged away, it gives us this sense that evil is more than just uh, doing this behavior or doing that behavior. Evil is more than just action. Actually, evil has a lot to do with proximity. See, evil desires drag us away from God. They, they, they create distance between us and our Lord. And so, so often... We get caught up, even as Christians, and we try to uh, define evil in very specific ways. But we have some even more like useful language to understand that something evil could be anything that drags you away, that creates distance between you and God. See, when we're understanding this, we get an even clearer picture as to why God was so clearly distancing himself from temptation. He's saying, I'm not sending temptation your way because God wants us to know that He would never send something that could lead us away from Him. Yes, trials may come and He may allow trials in our life, but as fierce as trials are, they're not intended to pull us away. They're given to us in a measure. As overwhelmed as you feel, if you are going through a trial, God promises that that trial will not be more than you could handle. It's actually what the scriptures say in Corinthians. That when we're going through these situations that God will give us the grace to bear up under the pressure, the stress that we're going through. But temptations when they come, they're not coming from God. Because they have no capacity to change us, to change our character, to make us Christ-like. All they want to do is pull us away. Church, can we pause for a second? And could you take some time to identify what are the desires that could be potentially dragging you away. What's pulling you away from Christ, from His mission, from His calling on your life, from His invitation for you and I to love Him? What's pulling you away from community, from true relationships, from engaging with your whole soul to love people full and well? What's dragging you away? Let's identify that as James was calling the people of God at this time to identify the things that were dragging them away. And he's letting them know God's not in that. So identify it. Name it. Recognize what's brewing in your soul that God did not bring. But furthermore, we're told to not be deceived. As temptations coming our way, we're told to don't be deceived. That's interesting because 
what we find out from the totality of Scripture and that the aim of spiritual deception is to blur our ability to see God clearly. When you and I are going through temptation, one of the things that's happening as you're experiencing temptation is that seeds of doubt, aspersions against God's character are being sown. There's no new trick. It's, it's the same thing from the beginning of Scripture where we see the tempter come to Adam and Eve and, and put a question, a seed of doubt on the character and goodness of God when he says, did God tell you to not eat of this tree? And then he says, he doesn't want you to do this because he knows that you'll be like him. And so sowing the seed of, of mistrust toward God. When temptation is trying to hit us, one of the things it's trying to do is to try to cast doubt on God's character and His goodness. And right now, if you're going through temptation, there's probably so many lies that are coming your way about the goodness and character of God. That's another way to identify that you're going through a trial, that you're not going through a trial. Because when you're going through a trial, you know, man, this is fierce. And you may come to God and say, why am I going through this? Where are you? But you're not at the point where you're questioning, man, do you even love me? Do you even have good plans for my life? But when you're going through temptation, we can often find ourselves in a place where we begin to doubt the very character and goodness of God. If right now you're doubting the character and goodness of God, know that you are going through temptation. That temptation is seeking to blur your vision of God. Because if it blurs your ability to see God clearly, then it has a greater capacity to pull you away. And to distract you and to pull you down that path that Jesus is calling you away from. Where is their deception right now? Are you being deceived? Are there, there are lies that are coming your way that are trying to cast aspersions against God's character? Name those things. Capture them. Identify them. Don't just passively receive those things. Recognize that you're being tempted and begin to turn your attention to meeting God in the place of temptation. You know, as I've been studying about temptation over the years, I realize that there's a relationship between temptations, things that we call as triggers, and trauma. See, often we're triggered into temptation, and those triggers will bring up past trauma. See, in psychology, a trigger can be all sorts of stimulus, such as smell, sound, or sight, and those things can trigger feelings of trauma. As well, triggers can be part of habit formation in that a trigger can cue a person to do what they always do in those situations. And so I remember uh, there was this gentleman that he was trying to quit smoking and one of the most difficult spaces where he would fight the urge and feel it the most is when he would get into his car. Because driving was a trigger for him because for years... His first reaction when he would get into a car was to light up a cigarette. And so literally for this guy, in order to overcome this habit, he had to recognize that getting into the car was a trigger, and so he had to be ready, because otherwise he would just fall into the trap. See, addictions persist 
in our lives because of the presence of triggers that we haven't identified and named and are aware of and expect them. Right now, there's all sorts of triggers in your life and mine that are just waiting to be part of the temptation process. And those triggers are things that you know they're coming if you actually pause and pay attention. Whether it's a difficult meeting that you have every week or a difficult email that you know is coming or you have to send or, or tough situations at home, challenging conversations with a loved one, with a child, whatever the case may be, there are things that happen in our week, in our month, in our year that if we're paying attention, we recognize this keeps coming up for me. And when it does, it spirals me into the cycle of temptation that pulls me. Before we even come to a place of resisting temptation by fleeing from it, first we would do well to identify the triggers that actually pull us down that pathway. See, because triggers and trauma often come up in unresolved spaces of our life. See, that's why it's important to identify the triggers that, that connect us to our trauma. Because when we do so, it makes us aware of unresolved spaces in our life. Unresolved conversations, unresolved tensions, unresolved forgiveness, bitterness that we haven't processed. All of these things can trigger us down the pathway of temptation. We could be going down this pathway because of negative relational patterns. If you pay attention, perhaps you might be aware that there's some negative relational patterns that just keep coming up for us. Why do we keep finding ourselves in the same kind of relationships year after year after year? The face change, the name change, but the same kind of relationship that doesn't lead to our flourishing. It's because we haven't identified the triggers that pull us down the pathway of temptation and root us in deeper trauma. But here's the way out. Here's what James is trying to get us to wrestle with by making us aware of God's presence in the midst of our temptation. The way that you and I can move forward and cut the cycle of sin and enticement and evil desire dragging us away is recognizing what verse 17 and onward says. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. The first thing that you and I have to be clear on and have to re repeatedly come to is the character of God. The only way you and I could face temptation and have the strength to run from it, to resist it, is by being incredibly clear on who God is. And knowing that despite what we're facing, despite the trials, we can be sure that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Knowing that God doesn't change that He's eternal, He's unchanging, roots us in the midst of the turbulence of life. When everything else is changing around us, you and I could be rooted and anchored in the reality that God does not change. If you're facing temptation, the first thing you have to 
resolve in yourself is knowing that the God of the universe that loves you, that calls you to love Him, is unchanging. He's unchanging toward you. He's unchanging toward everything. He is eternal. He is a rock that we could depend on. But not only so, James also tells us that this God that does not change, verse 18, He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all He created. The path forward in temptation is to learn to encounter Jesus. And we encounter Him through His word. James says that the word of truth gave us new life. It's birthed us spiritually. And that same word that brought us to life in Jesus, it's the same word we need when we're going through temptation. Whatever temptation you're going through, there is a promise in God's word that counteracts that temptation. That speaks contrary to it, that turns on the light in the midst of the darkness of that temptation. You and I have to run toward that truth in order that we might find the grace to resist and run from the temptations that are coming our way. In God's plan, and what James was writing to these believers, God's plan and intention is that temptation would become a place of encounter with our good God who does not change, and whose word not only brought us to life and faith the first time, when we professed faith in Jesus. But that same word of truth, the scriptures, keeps bringing us to life again and again and again. Would you join me in prayer as we come to God in light of his word? Lord Jesus, we pray that in the midst of a season filled with trials and temptations, Lord, may we receive the trials. May we count them as pure joy, knowing that you're in them, you're using them. But Lord, may we resist and run from temptation, knowing that our character is trying to be compromised and we're, uh, things are trying to draw us away from you. Jesus, would you help us to see you clearly, that your character does not change, that you're faithful, that you're good in the midst of temptation. And may that truth push back the lies that are coming our way. And Lord, may we be a people that cling to your truth and keep clinging to the word of truth, especially in the midst of temptation. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you join us in worship at this time?